the online broadcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for over a decade, working with some of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster. I committed several different types of fraud online, ended up on the United States Most Wanted list, spent some time in prison, and since that point I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against people like I used to be. And merchants were back. We wanted to take some time to do some episodes for consumers, you know, as you are consumers as well. But you guys know from previous episodes that really my heart and Brett's as well is to help online merchants too. That's what we've dedicated our careers to. Maybe that side of career has been a little bit longer on my side than Brett's, but we're very, we're very lucky to have him uh, helping <laughs> just, online merchants fight fraud now. <laughs> But Brett's been traveling the world. We talked about that in a previous podcast. But really up until the holidays, we know that you guys are in crunch time, especially online retailers or anyone that sells you know, online gift cards and all those other things. And so we're here to support you. And the next few weeks, we'll be talking about a few different topics that we know are big this holiday season or will be big this holiday season. And we were on a webinar on Tuesday with CIF Science through CMP. I'm talking in the future because this is actually a couple, we're recording a couple <laughs> days ahead of time. But we're talking about just a couple of the holiday fraud trends, as many as we could fit into 45 minutes. Um, we'll probably be highlighting call center fraud as well as buying online and picking up in store. But we're going to do a little more of a deep dive on one of those, which is call center fraud, social engineering. We've heard it called different things, but we know that that's really hitting people hard. Brett, why don't you kind of start with like how it works, you know, defining it. That's always, you know, I kind of put you on the spot for that. Sure, but so, uh, <laughs> what I used to do, and I mean, I've basically done every aspect of financial fraud you could think of, not that I'm proud of, but just saying that, you know, I've been there, done that. Mm -hmm. By picking up the phone, here's what happens. For a fraudster to pick up the phone, it's not going to be a new fraudster. Typically, mm. it's not a new guy. It's a guy who has started with credit card fraud. He's used to placing orders. He's used to knowing how a drop address, an address to receive product works, or how email mm. addresses work, things like that. For him to pick up the phone, he has to have a level of confidence to do that because that's really going above and beyond the usual way a cyber criminal operates. The usual cyber criminal never really has to speak to anyone. He's out there on the computer. He's just placing orders, setting up his technique, and the orders go through, and he goes to pick up product. For him to pick up the phone, he has, again, he has to have that level of expertise, that level of confidence that he's built on these other frauds that he's committed in the past. Now, when you do that, when you pick up the phone, basically what the fraudster finds out is that he bypasses all internet security. He calls in, he spoofs the phone number, meaning that the phone number that he's calling in, his phone number doesn't show on customer services screen. The account owner's phone number shows on the customer services screen. So it lays that base level of trust with the customer service agent. The customer service agent is already trusting that the person calling in is the person's phone number that's on the screen. So everything is, is kind of a base level of trust at that point. Now, the fraudster at that point, what does he want to do? Is he trying to order product? Is he trying to change account information? Depending on what he's going to do or what he wants out of it will determine the way the phone call goes. And, and what happens is, is a fraudster calls in, the fraudster has to be good enough that the first few words that come out of the customer service agent's mouth, he has to be able to read how that customer service agent is and what he needs to do to manipulate that customer service. 
Is it a new person? How can you tell it's a new person that's on the other end of the line? Usually there's a script and there's not, yep. that person's not very confident with the script. They sound mm. a little meek, a little mild. And that's the type of person that a fraudster likes that he can go in and really take advantage of at that point. Especially <clears> at the holidays, there's a lot of temps working absolutely. customer service, right? So they're kind of hoping for that, I'd imagine. And not only that, but for holiday fraud, I mean, you've got so many calls coming in from legitimate customers. Right. The chance of a fraudulent call making it through is pretty high at that point. Fraudsters know that. They take advantage of that. So he calls in, he spoofs the phone number he talks to, typically the lowest paid, least educated member of the group, which is customer service. That's not trying to uh, disparage customer service. That's just that fraudsters understand that customer service has a high turnover rate. They understand that because of that turnover rate that a lot of training can't take place. That's a weak point in the organization. They also understand that typically 99% of every call, all those calls every day, those are legitimate calls. So it becomes this mm -hmm. rote type thing for customer service as well. And when it becomes rote, when the customer service agent gets used to something is exactly when a fraudster can come in and take advantage mm -hmm. of it because he's just trying to fall in with everyone else all of a sudden. You can call in to change address if you're trying to update an order. You've already placed it online. So online, you'd place the order and you'd have it shipped to the actual billing address that's on the credit card. So it's actually going to the account holder's actual address. The idea being that, okay, the order goes through fine through the internet. Now it's up to the fraudster to divert the package. So he calls in, hey, you know, I just placed the order. I forgot that, uh, you know, we've just moved or we're on vacation. Can you go ahead and have that sent to my son's address or, you know, where we're having vacation? Or he'll try to set it up like that. Well, and that's easier during the holidays, right? Because, I mean, everybody's, my sister lives a few states away, and it's just easier for me to ship packages to my nieces and nephews by doing it that way than that's having true. it shipped to my house and mail it and me have to pay for shipping. So that's a common thing, and they're relying on that. Right, and you always try to come up with those common excuses. That's what mm -hmm. you're always trying to do. Nothing outlandish, nothing out of the norm, just the regular type of excuse that a common everyday person would come up with. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the techniques. You can place the order online as well. So you know, my internet's down. Can I go ahead and place the order through you guys? You absolutely can. We'll put it in right here. Outstanding. Love that. Let's do that. You can do that kind of stuff. It, from a call center perspective, here's what's important to realize. It's normal for some customer service reps to develop a rapport with specific customers. Like I used to work at the J. Peterman Company, and I had customers that when they called in, they wanted to talk to Brett Johnson. So that type of rapport is normal. But what happens when a fraudster calls in, he's trying to develop that rapport right then. It's not mm -hmm. something that's developed over time. He's trying to take care of it right there. Unless he's doing this thing called pretexting, at which point he's working about developing that rapport. He's taking a couple of weeks. He's talking to one specific customer service agent. Can I speak to Brett again? Can I speak to whoever? And he just keeps talking to that person. And that's to build trust and then eventually place a really big order or... Absolutely. Okay. And probably that, I would assume that that happens with smaller online companies, right? Because... I mean, well. thinking about the size, I mean, thinking about the size of like when I worked at Expedia, there were several call centers like all over the world and you never knew where they were going to land and, you know, where the call was going to land depending on the day and the time and the traffic and all that stuff. So it'd be harder to build rapport and keep calling in and talking to the same agent. You're absolutely right. Here's the caveat on that. Now, I've known a couple of music supply houses where pretexting is the way to do it. Also, one of our associates that you and I both talked to, he was telling me the other day that their company had, they handle a risk management for a variety of clients. One of their clients had this pretexting going on and they were basically sell $25,000 generators. And the uh -huh. way that the fraudsters got the generators was through pretexting. They would call a week, week and a half in advance, just start laying the groundwork, ask the questions about the mm -hmm. generators, call back, anything else cheaper? Can you give me a deal on it? That type of thing until they finally call back one day. You know what? We really need 
need it, let's go ahead and place the order. Here, here's my, this is my office information. Can you send it to the job? That's where we really need it. Mm. And the answer Well, and that especially, right. And that's especially bad when it's a smaller company or even a medium-sized company that provides commissions to people in their customer service. So if it's not a customer service department only and there's some sales in it, like I've worked with a couple merchants right. recently that have either on-site sales, like sales guys that go to businesses or you know, things like that for large orders, or they also have a channel where people can call in to sales reps. Like one company I worked with has TV commercials. And <laughs> whenever somebody calls in with the certain phone number from a TV commercial, it goes to sales reps and those guys get commission. And so of course they want to build a relationship and they want that big $25,000 sale because Absolutely. that's going to hit their commission on that. As a side note, if you have those, I highly recommend that you work on a commission clawback system because that helps. I mean, we'll talk more about ways to prevent or help get your customer service and phone sales team to be like your frontline of defense, but they definitely start paying attention a lot more <laughs> when, oh, yeah, because, I mean, when their commission is tied commission, to it. Geez. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, and it's not to be mean at all, but it actually helps a lot. It makes the salespeople be you know, more aware and helps really prevent chargebacks for a multitude of reasons because it's not just fraud. It's also we have all had those sales experiences where we've been talked into something and then we have buyer's remorse and those land to chargebacks as well. So I would imagine that if I were a fraudster calling into a company that had high dollar, high ticket items like that, I would hope that they were on commission because that would mean that they aren't going to listen to that voice in their gut saying, oh, this seems a little fishy because <laughs> they're adding up what the commission is <laughs> on that order. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow there. But no, no, not at all. Not at all. There. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, that's uh, it boils down to if you have customer service reps that are taking calls, they have to be trained to look for this kind of stuff. So it's either going to change change something on the account or it's going to give the fraudster product whether virtual product or physical product. It's going to do one of the two. So are you changing addresses? Are you changing email addresses or phone numbers? Are you looking for product? It's one of the two things for the fraudster. He's going to change something on the account mm -hmm. or he's going to try to get product. So you need right. to realize that even with the rapport that's being built, the customer service rep, I mean, they're trained to be friendly. They're trained to help whoever calls in. Well, that's what they're judged on. I mean, Absolutely. if you look at their KPIs, their key performance indicators, I mean, they're trained on providing good customer service, giving the customer what they want. And like you said, I mean, 90% of orders, especially at the holiday time, are good. And so you're just kind of in this, especially when you're working a 12-hour shift, you're just next, next, next. Oh, yeah, okay, they're all the same. They're all the same. Just going to place the order or just going to change the account or uh, reroute the package or whatever it is. Legitimate customers do do that. Right. Absolutely. absolutely. I think that what happens is, and I've worked customer service as well, but I think that what happens is, is that you get to a point in that job where instead of being reactive, you're just mm. passive all of a sudden. Instead of being right. proactive, you're passive. That becomes the entire issue. Once someone becomes that just reactive and passive type person, that's the type of person that a fraudster is looking for. Right. It becomes like automatic. You're right. just kind of on, you know, cruise control, so to speak, right? Absolutely. You're just, yeah. Well, I've totally done that. I mean, that's how I started my career was in a call center working with merchants for a merchant service company. And yeah, I mean, especially when I was on those 5 a.m. shifts on a Saturday morning, <laughs> I was on <laughs> I was on cruise control at autopilot. I wasn't really, you know, using and, my brain and, too much, and especially if I'd gone out drinking the night before, but I was like, you know, early 20s. <laughs> before anyone out there thinks that Brett Johnson actually had a legal job in his life, let me dispel that. Yes, I, I almost I asked you, do I need to ask how legitimate or illegitimate Jay Peterman was? 
it, it was a Jay Peterman company, like you used to see on Seinfeld. Oh, I don't know what those are. You're oh, from yeah. a different so part this, of the country uh, than I am. <laughs> it was this catalog ordering company that became famous because it was featured on the Seinfeld mm. show. Seinfeld, and, right. I just realized they, that. Uh, I knew I had heard it. Yep. I just, I thought it, I didn't know it was real. <laughs> it was real. Huh? So I, uh, and it used to sell all these little eclectic clothing items and household goods and things like that. You know, I got the job and... I was, again, it's just another point that I was not a good guy. I mean, uh, at one point, uh, Jay Peterman got access. They were the only people that were selling the props from the movie The Titanic. So uh, hmm. being in customer service, you could look up when all the props were coming in. So <laughs> I had access to know everything that was coming in, and I would just post it on eBay before it even came in. Oh, <laughs> so right. trying to sell it. So this is before you got into carding, really, but this oh, is yeah. when you were doing like your, you know, Beanie Babies on eBay this and that is, kind of this stuff. This is that, that entire sequence. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, I got fired from Jay Peterman. <laughs> I, sorry, I'm not super surprised about that because that means <laughs> exactly. that they did, made a good decision, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't know about it. What happened was is a, uh, a guy that was... Uh, that was going to buy one of these plates. So they had the dinnerware that was featured on Titanic. The plates were selling for $195 on Jay Peterman, one plate. And uh, wow. you, could, you could resell them. Yeah, you could resell them on eBay for 400 Wow. So, <laughs> I had like 10 of them listed for sale and everything. And then one morning I, I get a knock at the door and it's the police department mm. because they don't even think I've got the things. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I've got them. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> so they're like, where are you getting them? I'm like, I work at Jay Peterman. Thank you very much. Well, they immediately went to Jay Peterman and asked them about me. Oh. So that day I go into work and I'm fired. So I'm like, oh, oh, wow. Guess I deserve <laughs> that. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're such a different person now, so I can be just like, it's a good oh, thing yeah. you got fired. I <laughs> usually say that about, you know, but oh, sounds like they were protecting themselves. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I just I just wanted to get that out there in case anyone yeah. thought that I went through these spells of legal <laughs> actions. No, 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 no. no. There, was, there was always some little sideline that was going on somewhere. A little side hustle going on. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. The first job I had was Domino's. The pizza oh. place. And mm -hmm. uh, worked myself up in a manager's position within two months. Because <laughs> you're good with people. And because you know what to say and <laughs> when to others. say it. Mm -hmm. yep. So as soon as I got in the manager's position, you know, I'm the only guy that's in the store because the drivers are all out all oh, the time. Oh, boy. So all these phantom orders started being placed. I'm like, okay, we can do that. Wow. There was always, and I'm not bragging about that. I'm just that. Oh, I know you are. That's, that's where I came from. That little well, You have that side. mindset of always Absolutely. looking for the workaround, always looking for Absolutely. the loophole. And I think that's very consistent with the fraudsters that all of our merchant listeners deal with as well. Right. Honestly, I've said it many times and I'll keep saying it. <laughs> dealing with fraudsters is a lot like dealing with a toddler. <laughs> Can oh, yeah. I have this? No. <laughs> How about now? No. Yeah. What about this way? No. <laughs> you know? Jeez, no, <laughs> but it's true. Sometimes a teenager too, because <laughs> toddlers and teenagers have a lot in common, but that's another story <laughs> we say is we both have teenagers. Um, <laughs> but I mean, what I wanted to kind of like put in for my two cents on this topic is that it really wasn't a big deal. Even a year ago, I didn't really hear a lot from merchants about phone orders, but the last six months or so, it's definitely heated up. So one of the programs I've implemented for CMP Expo is Fireside Chats, and they're merchant only. And I get to pick, you know, the groups and stuff like that. And I usually pick them based on the type of attendees we have. Like two years ago, we had a lot of quick service restaurants. So we had a fireside chat for quick service restaurants because they have a lot of the same issues. This year, we had a lot of retailers. I mean, we have like eight or nine fireside chats. You know, we had online gaming, we had travel and ticketing, and all those different verticals. But we had one for retailers this year, and there were a lot of very large 
large retailers, both brick and mortar who have online presence as well as online only retailers. And I, you know, always just let the merchants pick what they want to ask each other. So I'm like, okay, you've got half an hour to look around, see your peers, so you can talk to each other throughout the conference. But you know, what have you been wanting to ask your peers about? Like, how do they deal with stuff? What do they do throughout the year? Because this is your chance. And the very first topic that came up in the retailer fireside chat this year was social engineering and call center fraud by one of the biggest retailers in the country, if not the world. And they were like, we're just getting hammered. And really, I think there's a few things that are driving this increase. And the very first one is that we're getting good. I was going to ask what your whole. opinion was, because I've got some opinions on that, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we may not have the same opinion, but I Maybe think, my, and this is purely speculation, because I don't read the dark web forums, you know, like you do. But I think for me, what I think is that online merchants have gotten relatively good at, you know, assessing orders. They're looking at device ID. They're looking at IP geolocation. They're looking at, you know, behavior on the site and anything that's suspicious. They're looking at all of those different factors and they all are using different types of tools and some are better than others, but, you know, they're able to detect fraud better than before. Just thinking back eight years ago when I managed my own fraud team, there was only one anti-fraud service. There was a second one that was just starting to come up. That was it. Now there's, I don't even know how many. Right. I mean, that's just to say that we're good about that. I think the other thing is that as merchants have focused on the online channel, they've kind of forgotten to loop in customer service in their fighting against fraud. A lot of times it's a separate division and a separate department, sometimes in a different building. They don't work with them as much. So another thing that I think is leading to the increase is technology. I mean, while I think the bulk of social engineering calls are in person, There are some that are using robocall technology. And I know that there's one merchant who has very large ticket items that told me that they were receiving robocalls in their call center timed exactly to the customer service script. Um, And she listened to some of the calls because she had customer service agents come to her and be like, I think this is kind of fishy, but I don't know. And so she advised them that the next time they got a robocall like that or a call that kind of sounded robotic, but you know, the technology is getting really good with AI where you can't always tell. She said, just be quiet and see what happens. And it was weird, but the <laughs> the robocall was timed. So, you know, the customer service agent isn't saying a word. And you're hearing, yes, thank you for asking. I would like this. And there's nothing else. <laughs> yes. And can you send it to dot, 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 dot. And can you charge da 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 charge? Yeah. So I think that's another reason. I think, you know, I'm interested to hear what you think, but those are my biggest reasons why I think that this is increasing so quickly. Actually, on those, as you mentioned, I'm right down there with you. I Mm -hmm. think that uh, online ordering, the security on that has gotten much, much better. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the same time, fraudsters know that call centers have not. Yes. For whatever reason, they have not. The third thing is that we are still, as far as a cybercrime community goes, we're still looking at a community that's still splittered from the actions of July of last year when Alphabet shut down. Because of that, if you're looking at setups, if you're looking at a fraudster trying to find a really good proxy provider or a remote desktop that's really good or being able to network with criminals that they can commit these types of crimes together, Uh. all that type of structure still isn't in place again yet. It's coming forth, but it's mm-hmm. not in place. It's when kind you're... of in factions, right? Like, because they kind of scattered. Some are on Reddit, some are on, what's that forum called that you're on? Hidden Hand? Hidden Hand? Yeah, some are on the dark web. Like, they're all over the place. You know, with an environment like that, it's simply easier for more experienced fraudster to pick up the phone, not have to worry about the proxies, mm. worry about the RDPs. It's just him with his card supplier. 
I see. I didn't think about that, but that makes sense. There's less technology that they have to buy, less people Absolutely. that they have to get a relationship with and make sure that they can trust that Sox by proxy right. server or whatever else it is. Because, I mean, even the one that I showcase in uh, presentations, Lux Sox, that was hit. I think that was September, October. That was hit pretty hard. I mean, this was actually not September, October. This was probably August that this thing was hit. They lost all their proxies. They had to rebuild the entire database. So fraudsters have to put up with that kind of thing. Hard to feel sorry for them. Absolutely. (laughs) But but the thing is, if they're hit with that, you know, this is their job. This is their career. They're not simply going to, just because they can't get a proxy, doesn't mean they're going to stop committing credit card fraud. What do Mm. they need to do? Okay, since the proxies are shut down, I still need the laptop. I still need this generator or electric guitar, whatever it is. Pick up the phone, order it. Right. That's the way that works. But you're absolutely right. Security is much, much better. For some reason, call centers are just not where they need to be right now. Well, and I'll get into that in a little bit because I have some observations because I've been in the merchant world on that side quite a bit. But the one thing I wanted to tack on too is, like you said, I mean, in addition to customer service agents being the lowest paid and a lot of times the lowest educated, you know, they do have the keys to the kingdom. They still are able to provide that order or, you know, for a lot of companies, they're able to do a reroute or they're able to do those different things. And so they still have value to fraud but a lot of merchants just discount that. They don't think about that angle. And I think if you come away from anything from this episode, it's pay attention to your customer service where we work with them together and don't come in there like, you need to listen to me. I'm the fraud manager. I mean, that doesn't work. Um, (laughs) And I speak from experience in a way. I mean, I get asked this question so many times of like, how do I get other departments to listen to me? Well, you're asking the question wrong to start. You know, if that's your perspective, like they need to listen to me, then I can tell you your approach is probably wrong. Absolutely. And I've been there before. You know, like just, I've been there where I'm like, the house is on fire. Yeah. You all need to be paying attention to this. Why aren't you doing something? <laughs> you need to listen to me. This is really important. And people just look at you like you're crazy. And if you're the person in every meeting who says no and says, you know, oh, we're going to do this new marketing ad. No. No. Oh, we're going to do this new product. <laughs> no, no, nope. God, no. Yeah. And I've been that person. You know what happens? You stop getting invited to meetings. That's and it. then you find out the chief marketing officer put the entire website 50% off the day before Thanksgiving when you gave your whole team the day off. And so you end up pushing orders through all day long on Thanksgiving at your grandma's house. Like, hmm, you know, hypothetically, of course. You mentioned customer service having the keys of the kingdom. One of the things, right. when I was a fraudster, one of my favorite things, and I'll say the company because they fixed it, but it was Apple. This was a few years ago. So you place the order at Apple and you would use the correct billing address, the correct shipping address. And uh, Apple would send out the notifications, you know, we're preparing the order, order's getting ready to ship. As soon as the order had been preparing to ship, mm. you'd get on the phone, call customer service. You wouldn't even have to spoof the phone number. Just call customer service. Hey, here's my order number. Look, we're leaving town tonight. Can you go ahead and forward that to this other address for me? Right. Yes, we can mm-hmm. do it right now. Even if it was in shipment, if it had shipped, that same customer service agent would still put the request in through UPS or FedEx and have that package diverted for you. It's that type of thing that fraudsters realize that they can do, that works well. And even today, rerouting packages and diverting packages, that's still one of the most popular things. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I get asked about that a lot. And, you know, the first thing I tell people that they need to do with reroutes is make it so that customers can't reroute. And I get it. I so get it. I constantly, especially, you know, focusing on chargebacks, I really believe that in customer experience, like focusing on that actually decreases your chargebacks. So I focus a lot on that. But 
you can do it in a way that isn't going to upset your customer, your good customers a lot by putting it on the website saying like, hey, due to the holiday season and high demand, we're unable to reroute packages. Please ensure that you're putting the right shipping address in your order and putting that on the email that gets sent out for confirmation. This will be sent to this. And then you can have a loophole. You can work with your shipping partner, whether it's USPS, UPS, FedEx, DHL, if anyone uses that in the US, not as much, but Europe, I know still, you know, work with your shipping partner to allow your company to do reroutes. So only agents from our company can do reroutes. No customers can do reroutes. And you can do it for UPS My Choice. UPS My Choice is a program that allows customers to be able to do reroutes from my understanding. And I would say you can limit My Choice customers. And so they have to call the customer service. Customer service should 100% work with the fraud team on this. And I will go into this a little bit more towards the end on what to do to work with customer service in the best way. But work with them and just have a certain number of people in your company that are able to do, you know, kind of like an escalation process. They're able to do reroutes. And then the other thing I would say is just having that alone still allows a fraudster to call UPS and say, oh, I'm calling from XYZ merchant and I need to reroute. So what you do then is you instill a passcode or some kind of code word for people who work at your company. Only they know what that code word is. And you put that in your file with UPS or USPS or FedEx and say, you know, this must happen. And what boggles my mind sometimes is how willing these and just how customer service focused some of the shipping companies are when the customer isn't the one paying the shipping. It's the retailer. And, you know, those are just some of the things about reroutes. I mean, that's one of the easier ways, but we know it's a big problem. It's a big problem because it works. You know, the other thing too is there are some fraud providers that allow you to put in information after the fact so that you can track it. Some good friends of ours, a company that we both work with sometimes, were telling me about that. And especially companies that have real-time machine learning can provide that so that you can at least have some visibility into the reroutes. Where are they going? When is that, you know, when is it happening? Okay, it's happening after we send the confirmation that the order's processed because the fraudster knows it was approved. Okay, so how do we change that? You know, looking for patterns of where this is happening or are they all being rerouted to one zip code? Are they all being rerouted to coastal cities to be reshipped to other countries? What's the pattern so that we can try to stop it? I really like what you said there. Are they all being routed to one zip code? (laughs) I cannot stress enough that that's one of the telltale signs of fraud. Time and time again, you know, I found a company that had a weakness and I would exploit that weakness. And I mean, when I say exploit, I mean, I would hit them as hard as I possibly could, Mm. as fast as I possibly could. The shipping addresses would be in a certain geographic area, usually whatever city I was in or the city across from me or something like that. And what happens is, is that as a team, at some point you will notice (laughs) that all those orders are going to Birmingham, Alabama, or Mm. all those orders are going to Charleston, South Carolina, Mm -hmm. or what have you. And it's important to try to notice that as fast as you possibly can. Yeah, I worked with a client last year, I believe, that was a specialty retailer and they had just a huge spike in fraud and they couldn't figure it out. And it looked like friendly fraud. It was a very confusing thing. And honestly, I could do an entire podcast episode about (laughs) about it just because it was kind of fascinating how like as you unravel it and dive into the details, stuff that looks completely good is all of a sudden like, it's really honestly, it was like the stereotypical case of a bad guy committing friendly fraud, which you're very familiar with. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, as we looked at all the details, the volume that accounted for the spike in chargebacks was all being shipped to Florida. 
And what we determined was that they were being shipped to Venezuela, which, you know, happens to be a country that is in a lot of financial turmoil right now. And there's a lot of black market items being sold. And there were some pretty expensive outdoor goods that were sent their way. And it was on a legitimate card, but it was being charged back. So basically, this fraudster had a great scheme where he'd order like $10,000 worth of items on his credit card that, you know, he'd pay payments on. And then he'd issue a charge back. And so he'd get it for free, but then he'd ship it to Venezuela and get like 5X for the retail or 3X for the retail. So, you know, once we looked at that, okay, so what zip codes are being looked at? What zip codes are being sent to Florida? Oh, what's the address on that? Hmm. They're all reshippers to Venezuela, you know? So then you start to be able to know what to stop at the very beginning. And that honestly is the biggest thing for fraud prevention and chargeback reduction on the whole. Like I always say, it's not rocket science, but really you're looking for patterns but you're looking for patterns that maybe not be so obvious to the fraudsters. So that's really, you know, what it comes down to or the friendly fraudsters or whatever it ends up being. You know, I was talking to another retailer a couple weeks ago and he was saying that they've had a real big spike in carding and card testing and, you know, they're like $100 ticket items or so. I mean, it ranges, but they were all different products. They were all different things. So there was no consistency there, but they're shipping to the card holder. And so, (laughs) you know, they didn't really care about the product. They cared about, you know, they were card testing in a way. So because, and the reason why they were doing this is because this merchant did exactly what I had said and they stopped reroutes. So when you stop reroutes, you might see a different type of fraud where all of a sudden they're shipping to the card holder. You know, they don't care about the item at that point. They care about testing the card and that makes it a lot harder to spot. So unfortunately, sometimes when you stop reroutes, you can have a hard time stopping. (laughs) So say the carter, he's got your credit card. Sure. He places that test charge. Okay. Mm -hmm. This charge goes through fine. Okay. So yeah, that verifies the card's active, but it also does something else. When that charge goes through, it also verifies the device that he's using to place that order as a legitimate device. Mm, For that merchant, you mean? For that merchant. Yeah, right. Right. So So they could go back. I see. Then they can go back. Ah, I'll have to circle back with the merchant on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Just to let them know about that. But I don't think they're seeing that because I did actually ask him if they're seeing follow-up transactions. So I did actually ask that question. And no, it seems like they're one-times. Unfortunately, the system they're using isn't sophisticated enough to track it right now. So... Uh. I'm working with them on that. You know, we've said this before, but there are some fraud providers who just haven't updated their systems as quickly as fraud has updated. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes there are merchants who, like, we kind of hit a wall. I mean, I really... <laughs> I really went through everything. Are there bin patterns? Are there this? Are there that? And it was really challenging. So you could be causing a bigger issue for yourself. But I mean, I wouldn't say that that's a reason not to stop reroutes. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, and I do know that there are companies who have had challenges with getting their shipping companies to restrict reroutes. I also know sometimes it can be an internal challenge because sales and marketing or customer experience don't want to limit that. But What I would say is what has worked for several merchants I know when talking to their shipping company is add up all your losses and say, look, I can or I will file claims on these, which is covered usually under your shipper's insurance. So they'll have to pay you back for all those claims that they rerouted. 
all of a sudden they start to pay attention. <laughs> um, if you're like, hey, I have record of all of these transactions being rerouted through your shipping company because they called you instead of calling our customer service and we will file claims on this or you can stop doing this. And to every merchant I know that has had that conversation, it goes in their favor. So I could literally hear people yelling at their phones <laughs> saying, because <laughs> I've had several merchants are like, yeah, we've tried and they won't stop or you have to pay extra for that. So I'm with you. I get that all the time. We've told them to stop. We filled out the appropriate form online, everything else for mm -hmm. them not to divert packages. And guess what? They're still doing it. Right. A lot of times when you talk to the bottom line, it changes the tone or the tune, you know, the tune of their. <laughs> and I talk about this a lot too. And I think I mentioned this to you is that fraud happens. A lot of these frauds happen because it's a failure of systems across a variety of platforms, not oh, yeah. just that one specific store. So if it is FedEx or UPS or whoever the shipper is that's diverting package, at the end of the day, you can't control that. You can only do as much as you can possibly do. If they're going to continue on, yeah, you, I'm going to take you and you're going to pay for all the losses and everything. That's fine. And yeah, you'll get your money back on that. But right now you've still lost your product. So right. it, it's still important to be as diligent as you possibly can yes. on your end. for all And not time. allow reroutes from your customer service. Absolutely. So maybe, Absolutely. you know, that's all you can prevent. And then you file what you can for externally. But I think, you know, what we're both saying is don't be complacent, right? Uh, <laughs> don't be loud and obnoxious to the point where people don't take your calls, but don't be complacent. There is a middle ground somewhere. Right. <laughs> and I would say from my perspective, as far as, you know, understanding call centers and the merchant environment, they, you know, beyond what we've already said about, you know, their number one goal is to please the customer and, and do what's right. And that's what they're judged on. And that's what their performance is based on and all of those other things. It's also the fact that a lot of these customer service departments are outsourced. They're in other countries. They're in other buildings. They're in other areas. It also depends on where your fraud team lies in your organization. So there are some companies and retailers seem to be more like this than others, but there are some companies that fraud and customer service are in the same department or fraud reports to the head of customer service. And there's some good things and there's some bad things to that for sure. One of the bad things is that they have very competing interests. <laughs> so, you know, if you're the fraud manager and your boss is the chief customer experience officer or whatever they're called or the customer service director, they might have some challenges with some of the processes that you want to put in place. On the flip side, if you have a good relationship with your customer service department, if you work right next to them, if, you know, your teams do outings together, that's a good opportunity to be able to say, hey, can I provide some training to the customer service team? I was fortunate when I worked for a retailer and managed my own department that I was the manager of the fraud team, but I was the co-manager of customer service. And we were a pretty small department, probably 20 combined with fraud and customer service. But the customer service manager and I worked really closely together and we also all sat by each other. So just like <laughs> my team could hear customer service calls and be like, pop over the cube and be like, uh, I want to talk to that person, forward them to me now. That would also happen with the customer service team listening to my fraud calls and my fraud team's calls. And that helped educate them a little bit, some, you know, cross training. And then I would have like some companies do brown bag lunches. I did it in a different way. But however it works, if you work in the same building as your customer service department and it might be late before the holidays because I know everybody's about to go into crunch time, but work with them and say, hey, I want to do like a 30 minute presentation and just explain to them what fraud is and why it's a big deal. So many people within your company don't realize that for every $1 in fraud, 
it's almost three times that in losses. They don't understand what that means for their bonuses or what that means for their promotion or for the company as a whole or for the stock price. I mean, I've worked with a couple like really big companies, like one Fortune 100 company that unfortunately had to explain fraud on a shareholder's call. You don't want to have to do that. So enlisting other departments in that and saying, hey, you know, this is why it matters. And this is why we care because a lot of people have a you know weird idea of what fraud is or they just think that you're sales prevention or you're just arbitrarily picking orders to cancel. They don't understand all the methods. Now, here's what I really strongly suggest though. You have to be very specific and very strategic about what you share with your customer service department because they are eternal people pleasers. Brett and I both know about one really bad situation that happened over the summer where a disgruntled fraudster got very upset. They were very invested in this company. It was an online gaming, social media type company that was, you know, kind of had become their life and they had lived it. And they'd also found a way to defraud the company, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they were caught. And they called into customer service and social engineered the heck out of them. Not to place an order, not to do a reroute. This was actually to find out exactly what they were scoring on, what services they use. And on top of that, they also found out the fraud manager's name and they started really badly harassing her and sending death threats to her house. And it got insane. There's so many other details I could give, but that would take double the time we have today. But it's important to guard your customer service department from knowing everything. You know, you don't want to tell them exactly what you're going to do the rules on. So, yeah, I mean, you never know what the fraudster or social engineer is going to want. You know, they may not want to know how do I get around your fraud rules. They may want to know who's in charge so I can, you know, dox them or whatever. I mean, it can be pretty scary. I've never heard of that happening until this incident, and it was really bad. I mean, it caused so many issues. But I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, I wouldn't tell your customer service agents what you score on. I've definitely heard customer service agents say, oh, your order probably got canceled because you're shipping to a different address than your billing address. So just change that and it'll be okay. We have very few advantages on the merchant side of knowing what tools we look at and what systems and what you know areas of the order we look at. We don't want to give that away to customer service. So when you're talking to them, you first explain why fraud is bad, explain kind of what some fraud calls would sound like, you know, what they're trying to get at, what their end mission is, and then train customer service, not only what to watch out for, but when to send calls to the fraud department. So have somebody on your fraud team or, you know, a designated phone line or email alias or whatever works who can deal with fraud escalation calls. I've been actually pretty surprised at how many companies don't have that process. And you just can't have these two departments be so separated and isolated. You need to be talking to each other because I don't know how many times customer service came to me and was like, um, Chris, we're seeing something really weird right now. And then I'd be like, oh my gosh, like I didn't even know that was possible. You know, like weird IP addresses on chat, which was, you know, granted this was eight years ago. So, you know, give me some slack (laughs) that I didn't realize that they would try to defraud through chat. But we were able to get on that really fast because they knew to come to me when they saw something. So make them your first line of defense. Let them know what they can and can't say and just basically what to watch out for. When I worked customer service for the merchant processor, that was one of the reasons why I got promoted to the risk department was I talked to the risk department and was like, hey, when should I send something to you? When should I not? What should I listen out for? And I always sent them the best calls because I knew kind of what to pay attention to. And I loved that stuff. So find those people in customer service or train all of them 
because they kind of get invested in it and they kind of get excited when they help catch a bad guy. So take advantage of that. They're on the front line. So if you train them to help you and be vigilant, and if they know why fraud's such a big deal, they're going to be your first line of defense. That is my number one thing for fighting social engineering and, and call center fraud. I'd also say there's some other tools out there for call center fraud. A lot of them have to do with PCI and protection and all that, but there's definitely support for that as well. And you can definitely look up some of those tools, voice recognition. I know there's one that claims that there's like a voice fingerprint that they're able to do, but I don't, I don't know enough about it to be honest, but there are some technology that can help authenticate the caller, whether through SMS or other things to determine if it's fraud. So I'm way more on the process and training side, especially for this particular issue than knowing exactly what type of technology is out there. So I'm sure I'll get a lot of emails from people representing those companies because <laughs> that's happened on previous <laughs> episodes of ours. <laughs> um, hey, Chris, you mentioned this kind of tool. Were you talking about us? Because if not, here's all the information <laughs> about our tool, which actually it's really good for me to know what tools are out there because I am helping on merchants, but just know that I can't dedicate a ton of my time to that. But yeah, so I know I've kind of gone off on a rant, but I never like to provide you know a problem and no solution. Do you have anything to add on that, Brett? No, no. The, the only thing that I would add is that it's important to understand that call center fraud is not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things we mentioned on the last episode was the FTC is about to force call providers to use caller ID authentication, which means that you can't spoof phone call after that. Spoofing would be over. All right. So that is going to happen. Mm. But when that happens, understand that that does not mean that's the end of call center fraud. Not at all. The only thing that means is that fraudsters will then start opening up new accounts mm -hmm. and they will use those new accounts to call in and still commit call center fraud. This is not going anywhere. It just will be like account takeover. Right. Well, and the other thing I was going to say too is, you know, I, I struggled of whether I should say this or not because I don't ever, you know, on the off chance we have a fraudster or five listing, I never want to like give too much away, but I don't think this is because some merchants have the ability and some don't. And I would never say which ones do and don't, but honestly, spoofing the phone call to mimic the cardholder's phone number doesn't have a ton of value for most companies or a lot of companies, I should say. A lot of companies. You know, they don't have the technology to go, oh, okay, so the card's registered to this person or looking it up they haven't trained their call center employees to do that. They should, right. but that isn't really a factor. So it's kind of funny to me that like fraudsters are going to that much effort to look legitimate when really I don't think it matters. Right. There are definitely, and there will be more and more services that do that, but that's one of them. Or, you know, they can even port the phone number over if they want it that bad. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't know a lot of merchants. I know there are a few, but I don't know a lot that are really checking does the phone number match the cardholder name? Right. Again, call center is completely separate from the fraud department. Absolutely. So you're a lot of times when you've established a fraud department, you're not even really thinking about customer service or call center. You know, you're knowing that the fraudster might call in after to find out why their order was canceled. But other than that, like they operate in silos a lot of times. And if your department doesn't operate in a silo and you work well with customer service, good job. You're already ahead of the game <laughs> because you're also you get to know a lot more about the fraud ahead of time and it helps you piece things together because you're only seeing the order being placed and why am i seeing a huge spike of orders on our own ip address you know like that kind of thing oh well we've seen orders be you know you ask customer service that well, we've seen orders being placed by phone go up by 80 percent huh 
okay, yeah, <laughs> is that normal? That. Yeah, right. <laughs> and am I going to see my chargebacks go up by 80% pretty soon? <laughs> you know, so it's good to know about those the sooner the better. So obviously, this is something we could talk about for a long time. And I'm sure that we said even other stuff on the webinar with SIFT because that's how we are. Um, <laughs> some of the things will are. be the same, but <laughs> you come up with stuff, you know, like, oh, yeah, this and we'll feed off each other. And then we'll also have Jeff from SIFT Science on that webinar who, um, yeah, he was one of the founders of the fraud department for Square, and he now works at CIF Science, and I've known him a long time. I went to a conference in Paris with him and Kevin Lee, and um, yeah, and so he's a great guy and knows a lot and has great merchant experience, so I'm sure he'll have stuff to add to. So if you missed that webinar, I am almost positive it'll be on the CIF Science website. It'll also be on the CMP Expo website or cardnotpresent.com. We like CIF Science. We like them a lot. We do, and I want to say... <laughs> with a caveat that like we don't get paid by them for that i mean we really i know don't. no and no i want to just make sure that everyone knows like we don't play favorites on you know i actually don't always recommend civ science i do a lot of times because the machine learning piece is really great for companies that don't have fraud sme and other stuff i could go into that forever and i don't mean for this to be a commercial but the reason i say this is because we don't want anyone to think that like you know we're playing favorites but I think what it is, is we really like the people and they send us cookies. They do so send we, cookies. We like that, except <laughs> Brett made the mistake of talking to me about those cookies when his wife was in the car and apparently she didn't get those cookies and we got sent a dozen of them. So, oh, <laughs> poor <know>. Michelle. <laughs> what We're over here like, oh, those were that. so good. You know. She's like, what? What cookies? <laughs> she just wasn't home at that point in time. Oh, poor lady. <laughs> <laughs> That's the true secret, right? Like, it's not, you know... It's because we really like the people and they send us cookies. What, you know, what more do we need? But no, I mean, I just want caution because I know I don't want anyone to, you know, think we really try hard not to play favorites, but there's always going to oh, be you know, people that we like more than others. Yeah, I, I don't play favorites. I, you know, I've, I've had a couple of companies that have offered to pay me. I, they don't call it a kickback, but whatever that is when you the referral it, fee, the referral. Yep. Oh, yes. I'm They've very offered familiar. to pay me that. And my response has been, you know what? I'm not a salesman. Yep. And here's what I will do. As long as your product works well, I will speak highly of it. The minute that it doesn't, I will speak highly of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a big reason why I don't like to do referral fees is because I feel like I owe somebody something. But also, I just feel like it's not fair to the merchant. I want them to know that they're getting a reference or a referral from me because I think that's the best tool for their problem. Not because I'm getting money back. And yeah, I mean, I've been offered a lot of money for both my Rolodex and my references. And I'll say that there's a couple situations not in fraud that I've entertained it and had those discussions more because I, it's a very select situation when I consider it. And usually it, there isn't a competitor and it's a product that I know that I'm not going to refer to all my clients, but that works well and I would refer them anyway. That's the only one and it's not in fraud. I very much will not take referral fees and fraud because it's too crowded and I don't want to. <laughs> I just don't want to get into that with all the hats that I wear between CMP Expo and the podcast and my consulting. It's a conflict of interest. And I know too many consultants in this space that have given bad advice. I'm not just saying it because I think it's bad advice. It's because a year later, the merchant is like, I don't even understand. Like this product is not working for me. Right. But meanwhile, the consultant got tens of thousands of dollars. And so I've seen that so many times. I just can't do it in a good conscience. But yeah. So, I mean, with that said, like we, you know, <laughs> we, we don't do that. And I think that's a good point. I just, you know, especially with us adding advertising soon and all that, I don't want anyone to think that we're playing favorites, but we do like to work with the people there and we 
like the cookies that they send <laughs> and they ask us to work with them. I think that's a difference too. So, and I ask for cookies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are some situations where we, I mean, we do have a lot of clients that pay us in other things than cookies. Let's be honest. We need to or else we can't well, keep the on. <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. I think the last time they said it's cookies is when we were both on their podcast before our That's podcast. So it's not like we're, you know, doing huge consulting <laughs> gigs for them for cookies. That would be, <laughs> let's be honest. We have totally gone off on a tangent, but I hear people like our tangents. I don't know. We'll see if they still do after today, but um <laughs> You know, merch. So are we wrapping up then? Yeah, I think so. I just wanted to oh. say, you know, we're gonna be doing some more merchant episodes between now and Christmas. So please keep checking back. Please subscribe, all that stuff. But yeah, I think that now's a good time to wrap up. All right then. <laughs> That's it for our episode today. We thank you for joining us and we hope you've learned a lot. Phone fraud is a rising problem and it's going to continue to get worse. So knowing what to look for can help you not fall for the scams that are really so rampant right now. We've got so many of these topics to cover to help you protect yourself and your company from fraud. So please subscribe to the online fraudcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. And please tell your friends, rate and review where you can to help others learn about these topics as well. And we love hearing from you guys. I just got an awesome LinkedIn message from somebody I didn't know just the other day saying how much they love our podcast and how much it's been helpful to them. Keep that up. And we also want to hear how we can improve and what topics you want to hear us discuss. You can find the online broadcast on Facebook or find us individually on LinkedIn or email us at info at onlinefrogcast.com. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. Thank you.